Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Arlene Fraser had mysteriously disappeared from her home in New Elgin without a trace three and a half months prior to her daughter's sixth birthday. The occasion, on August 5th, 1998, marked the 100th day since Arlene had been missing. While a scaled-down investigation was still ongoing, the Grampian police were struggling to find any answers. It's a case that's baffled detectives and left a small Highland community searching for answers. Despite a massive police investigation and wide-scale searches involving the public, no trace of the 33-year-old mum has been found. My gut feeling is something terrible happened that day. There's someone out there does know something. A disappearance remains one of the most baffling cases ever experienced by this force. The backdrop which you see here of Arlene, emphasises the puzzle of this case and how we believe that someone out there does hold the missing piece of this jigsaw. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 54 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 7, Episode 53 for Part 1 of this three-part case. Since people were aware of the attempted murder charge against Arlene's estranged husband, Nat Fraser, he was the obvious suspect in the eyes of the public. Many citizens of Elgin and anyone following the news 
harbored strong suspicions about Nat's potential involvement. In the reasonably small town, and as well known as Arlene's disappearance became, Nat couldn't shake the incessant rumours and speculation that followed him like a dark cloud. In August, he vented his frustrations to the media, describing how he felt unable to talk openly to his children about what had been printed by the press. Nobody seems to want to get my side across, he said. There's nothing I've been able to show my bands in the newspaper about me. Everybody's saying the same terrible things about me. The place is full of malicious gossip and I'm fed up to the back teeth with it. But my friends have stood by me. That same month, Nat claimed that Arlene had likely left of her own accord, possibly to teach him a lesson about the difficulties of being a single parent. He often visited the police station, seemingly to drive home the point that Arlene had abandoned the family so she could enjoy a holiday. He made comments to Detective Inspector Alan Smith, who later recalled that Nat Fraser said things like, She picked a good time to have a holiday. She'll be away somewhere having the time of her life. And, You guys must be about ready to call it a day. Finally, after months of hearing the incessant jovial comments, according to D.I. Smith, he responded, that's some length of holiday she's on. This retort not only stopped the regular visits, but made Nat Fraser realise he was a suspect. From there on in, any communication with investigators was not given willingly. Six months ago, Elgin woman Arlene Fraser disappeared into thin air. Despite a massive hunt, no trace of her has been found. A new poster campaign and new hotline will be launched tomorrow to encourage the public to come forward. Well, we were hope, hoping to jog people's memories and six months ago people would have thought this is maybe just a missing person. Now there would be obviously concerns that she may have been a victim of some criminal act. We don't know. We want the people of Murray to think along the lines, yeah, she may have been a victim of a criminal act, and do they know anything that they should be telling the police? And if they do, then I would ask them to contact us. Towards the end of October 1998, the investigation into Arlene Fraser's disappearance seemed to be going nowhere. Her personal effects were controversially returned to Nat in a box that included the three rings discovered in the bathroom after the bungalow had already been searched. Detective Chief Inspector Peter Simpson told BBC's Frontline Scotland that officers could find no evidence Arlene was still alive. Arlene's loved ones had resigned themselves to that fact as there would be some sort of trail as to where she had gone. There had been no verifiable sightings. Her bank account remained untouched and she had not visited a hospital for medical care. Her sister Carol told Frontline Scotland, I feel something has happened to Arlene that is beyond Arlene's control. Arlene wouldn't put us through all this. In contrast, her estranged husband, who had also appeared on the show, 
was the opinion that Arlene was still alive. I still live in hope that someday she'll turn up. I think she's somewhere, he said. Days after the programme was aired, the police announced they planned on re-interviewing Nat Fraser. When he received this news, again Nat spoke with the media in an effort to get his point across, maintaining that Arlene left to prove how hard it was to raise children as a single parent. Nat remarked, The first couple of days I thought she was maybe trying to kind of learn me a lesson. That is, see what it is like to keep bands on your own. Nat said he was upset by the constant speculation that he was in some way responsible, saying, It was quite hurtful what was in the papers. Very hurtful. But you can't stop it so people will make up their own minds. He tried to explain that his relationship with Arlene had simply fizzled out and run its course. They were both looking for different things. However, Nat conveniently omitted any reference to his earlier attempt to take Arlene's life. By November, it had been seven months since Arlene Fraser disappeared, and the police were desperate for any leads. Reportedly, they started to welcome unorthodox methods in the form of help from Anne Anderson, a professed psychic detective and columnist at News of the World. She went to Arlene's home and gave officers from the Grampian police a description of how she thought Arlene was abducted and driven somewhere. Anne said... Arlene knew the person who did this. The picture I get is of the bottom of her nightie and her feet coming out of her slippers like she was being lifted up from behind. According to Anne Anderson, the man who took Arlene was wearing jeans and she suggested there would be fingerprints from Arlene gripping the kitchen door. Directly above these prints the police would find a man's handprint. She also suggested to the police that a female friend was not telling them everything she knew about Arlene's disappearance, and then remarked, find out who the two men were that Arlene and her pal were talking to on their last night out. One of them had a red car. I'll keep picking up a red car. It is important. Before the month of November came to a close, the police announced they had made their first significant breakthrough. They were looking for a beige B-registration Ford Fiesta purchased just the day before Arlene disappeared. The police appealed to the owner to get in touch. Detectives were, however, quick to point out that the car they were searching for was different from the one the psychic had previously described. They also revealed that the car was not bought by Arlene's husband, with Detective Chief Superintendent Keith Wilkin stating, To the best of my knowledge, it was not owned by Nat Fraser. I don't believe that Nat Fraser was involved in its purchase. That said, by early December, 
the police uncovered that in fact the vehicle in question was linked to Nat Fraser, just not directly. Investigators established the night before Arlene disappeared. The purchase of the beige Ford Fiesta was arranged by someone Nat knew. Hector Dick. Nat and Hector had been friends for years, with Nat being the best man at Hector's wedding. The vehicle in question was bought with cash from a hotel worker in Elgin. Then it was driven out to Hector Dick's rural farm and coal yard business at Moss Towie near Milton Duff. The coal yard was remote and reportedly housed an industrial waste disposal unit and incinerator. After detectives tracked down the individual who obtained the car, he said the purchase had been made at the request of Hector Dick. Hector was already known to the officers investigating Arlene's murder. Her sister had told them that just the week before Arlene vanished, she called Arlene and said Hector was sitting outside her house in his car. While the police now knew who purchased the vehicle, they still had not tracked down its location. They announced that the Ford Fiesta was seen being driven along unlit country lanes near Elgin after it was purchased, and investigators believed it was stored at Hector Dick's coal yard. From there, the vehicle seemingly vanished. The police felt confident it was somehow connected to Arlene's disappearance. Officers headed to Hector's remote farm and coal yard, around six miles from Arlene's home. They began scouring the land surrounding the area with the assistance of RAF helicopters armed with heat-seeking equipment. At the time, Hector was not home, but his wife Irene said, I didn't see the fiesta they were looking for. You will have to speak to Hector about the car. After the initial search turned up no clues, detectives recruited Peter Simpkins, a specialist in underground investigations. He arrived at the farm and coal yard and used ground-penetrating radar. Still, he too came across nothing that could assist the investigation. As rumours continued circulating about Hector Dick and his potential involvement... Hector denied any wrongdoing through his solicitor. Ian Crookshank of Wink and Mackenzie said, On behalf of Mr. Dick, claims that the missing Ford Fiesta had been taken to his farmyard and coal yard the night before Arlene Fraser disappeared are false and without substance. Neither Mr. Dick any member of his family or any of his employees are connected in any way with this missing vehicle. Mr. Dick would also make it known that it is false to state there are commercial incinerators on the farm. Mr. and Mrs. Dick have been friends of both Mr. and Mrs. Fraser for the past ten years and are as shocked as anyone by Arlene's disappearance. After the activity at the farm and coal yard, officers flew to Lanzarote to question friends of the Frasers that had moved there, 
but following these developments, things appeared to go silent for several months. Nothing found could indicate where Arlene was, or even the location of the missing Ford Fiesta. In March of the following year, Detective Inspector Alan Smith shared his belief that a small group of people held the key to Arlene's mysterious disappearance. Around the same time, the investigating team received the assistance of additional officers from Aberdeen to help in the investigation. Smith said, We won't let this matter rest. It is going to be a long and painstaking challenge to solve the case, but we owe it to Arlene, her children and her family, as well as the public at large. At exactly 9.41 this morning, the family of missing Elgin mother Arlene Fraser launched another appeal for help in the search to discover her fate. It, it was at 9.41 a year ago today that Arlene was last heard of. Today, the first anniversary of what her family now believe is her murder, they went to a news conference to appeal for help to solve the mystery. It's a tight-knit community. There may be a, a fear factor. They could come forward anonymously. While the investigation continued, Nat Fraser decided to move on with his life pursuing his hobby. He started performing with a band again at weddings and local bars, something which caught Arlene's family off guard. Nat appeared happy and confident and relished performing on stage. Arlene's sister Carol expressed her disbelief, saying, We as a family have discussed this. It has confused us sometimes. Arlene's loved ones were left haunted by the uncertainty of her fate. They found it perplexing that Nat appeared to be so strong, unaffected, and able to move on. While Nat Fraser hoped to move forward and put his wife's disappearance behind him, this would not be so easy. His past would come back to haunt him. Several women came out of the woodwork, recounting tales of Nat's indiscretions. Vera Mare claimed that Nat pursued her while Arlene was pregnant with Natalie. She had met him in the Murray village of Cullen when he delivered fruit and veg to her place of work. Despite Nat's insistence, Vera said she was uninterested and rejected his advances. Matters were somewhat more complicated, however, at least according to one of Vera Mare's former friends. They claim the pair did have a relationship, and Vera was serious about Nat, even believing they were going to get a house together despite them both being married to other people. Even more confounding for Arlene's family was how quickly Nat appeared to move on. He had grown close to mother of two, Jackie Milton. She had known Nat for many years, and working in the service industry, she learned about the gigs he performed and started going along to see him. By this point, Nat was no longer a guitarist for the Minesweepers. Having left to pursue his own music, 
in the Nat Fraser Band. The new name left a bad taste in some people's mouths, who thought that he was using the notoriety of Arlene's disappearance for his own ends. As the anniversary of Arlene's disappearance drew to an end, Nat and Jackie reportedly grew closer, and she was even introduced to his children, Jamie and Natalie. Surprisingly, as news of how close they had got reached the media, Jackie commented to a reporter, I didn't know Arlene. As far as I'm concerned, Arlene was just a cow. Elaborating on her comments, Jackie went on to say, I've known Nat for 15 years, and he's not perfect. Never has been, for womanising. Most guys that work in bands are, but she was just as bad. Two can play at that game. There's no marriage that never has domestics of any sort. Jackie Milton denied that she and Nat were romantically involved and dismissed rumours as local gossip. She told the Daily Record, I work in a pub for Christ's sake, and you hear everything. I can't stand malicious rumours. I have separated from my husband, but this has bugger all to do with that. I'm getting enough strife from him, and the last thing I need is another bloody man. Jackie Milton's words were like a dagger to the heart for Arlene's loved ones, and to hear that she was spending so much time with Jamie and Natalie added insult to injury. There was a shocking development in May when the police were asked to return to Hector Dick's farm and investigate a death. 64-year-old Willie Lauder was fatally injured in March of the previous year, a month before Arlene went missing. Willie was a wealthy man and Hector had given him a place to stay on the farm after Willie was sent to live in a care home. According to locals, Hector had only done this because he was after Willie's fortune. Willie's relatives were unsure where the funds from his estate had gone before Hector confirmed he was a beneficiary. He did not disclose how much he had received. Hector said to the Daily Record, I have nothing to hide. I knew when we took Willie in that there would be problems if he ever died. Yes, I receive money, but how much is my business? The police announced that they would be looking into Willie Lauder's death, including the financial aspects. It would be confirmed Willie Lauder was fatally injured after a neighbouring farmer was towing a 12-tonne muck spreader and at one point reversed his tractor but did not see Willie, who was standing behind the vehicle. Police could find no evidence of foul play, and it appeared to be nothing more than an accident. Shortly thereafter, the police arrived at another property and staged a dramatic raid at the home of Nat Fraser, where they found a replica gun and live ammunition. Nat was taken to the police station, 
where he was questioned for three hours before being released. Officers had received a tip-off that Nat had firearms in the house. After he was released, his business partner Ian Pedro Taylor was arrested and charged with firearms offences. The local businessman was discovered to have unlawfully owned four shotguns and seven rounds of ammunition adapted to expand on impact. Ian Taylor pleaded guilty to the charges, although he claimed he was only looking after the weapons for friends. He was fined £1,500. Throughout the summer of 1999, numerous avenues of investigation were explored and the rumour mill continued to turn. The focus briefly shifted away from Nat Fraser and toward a possibility that had not previously been explored. In September, the police began looking into the likelihood that Arlene Fraser was killed because she threatened to expose a lucrative bootlegging scam. She had knowledge of a criminal gang that was involved in transporting and selling thousands of pounds worth of smuggled spirits each week. The alcohol was not stolen or illegally manufactured. It was duty-free alcohol purchased in bulk from overseas. The product was regularly moving from Fife to Elgin, where it was then sold through local people. There were massive profits due to the volume that was being transported. Individual bottles only made a few pounds profit, but selling en masse was much more lucrative, and because it was outside of the law, no VAT was paid, making it a serious crime. Such schemes, albeit on a much smaller scale, selling duty-free alcohol and cigarettes to friends and family members, were popular in the 70s, 80s and 90s. The police believe that Arlene might have played a minor role in selling bottles of whiskey and vodka to friends. It was considered the bootleggers had major underworld connections, and it was not outside the realm of possibility that they could have arranged for Arlene to disappear if she knew too much. However, Arlene's family promptly refuted these accusations. Her mother Isabel said... When they speak about the underworld, you conjure up this horrible, sinister world that you don't know about. I don't think Arlene could have been mixed up in a major thing like that. Arlene's sister Carol agreed, saying, She wouldn't have been the brains behind any bootlegging scam. I think there are others that could have been named rather than my sister. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, 
The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowl & Branch Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl & Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to B-O-L-L and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. October 1999 was a pivotal month in the case. Nat Fraser received an indictment. The document specifies the charges on which the accused is to face trial. The charges listed assault and attempted murder for the attack on Arlene in the bathroom approximately five weeks before she went missing. Nat was to attend High Court in Aberdeen on November 1st, but this date was adjourned. The police had swooped in to Hector Dick's farmhouse and arrested him in connection with their efforts to trace the Ford Fiesta they believed was used in Arlene's abduction. He was charged with attempting to defeat the ends of justice. Hector made no plea or declaration and was remanded into custody. Nat Fraser was then also charged with the same crime. Much like Hector, his charge related to the missing Ford Fiesta. Frustratingly, the vehicle could still not be found, and it was felt that if it was unearthed, it could be the key to confirming investigators' suspicions. 
before Hector Dirk and Nat Fraser could face these charges. Nat first needed to stand trial for the earlier attempted murder charge. Proceedings were scheduled to begin in February 2000, but on the 10th of that month, Nat shuffled into court and admitted to a reduced charge of assault to severe injury and danger of life. He pleaded not guilty to an earlier offence of punching and kicking Arlene between January 23rd and February 1st, 1998. His plea was accepted by the Crown. Fraser told police he'd only had his hands around her throat for a few seconds, but a forensic medical expert said he believed the assault had lasted much longer. The High Court in Edinburgh heard how he'd flipped in the early hours of Mother's Day 1998 when she returned home after a night out with three female friends. Arlene said that during the attack she couldn't breathe and all she could think about was her children. Just a month later, the mother of two disappeared. I want to know where my sister is buried. I mean, Arlene is dead and we've had to listen to just a complete load of rubbish and lies and more lies. We want to get to the bottom of this, and this is the start. I mean, there's more to come. Arlene's family shared their disappointment that the attempted murder charge had been reduced, but remained hopeful that Nat would be jailed appropriately. Arlene's sister represented the family outside of court. I felt sick with sadness with what we had to listen to today, Carol said. Although I don't feel we have been let down by the justice system, it is extremely distressing listening to all her injuries which were life-threatening. We would like this to have continued to attempted murder level, and we want to see him go to jail for this. Carol was insistent that community service would not be enough and she was sick of hearing Nat Fraser trying to garner any form of sympathy about what happened, considering he viciously attacked Arlene. Arlene's loved ones begged Nat to tell them the truth about what happened, with Carol asking, If you didn't have anything to do with her death, who did? We know you have the knowledge to clear this up. Come clean now. Nat was originally charged with attempting to murder my sister. Then she mysteriously went missing. I can't get away from the impression that this is connected. The sentencing phase occurred on March 2nd, 2000. Nat Fraser was told he would have to spend 18 months in prison. The judge addressed Arlene's estranged husband and explained that a custodial sentence was unavoidable after hearing Nat had almost strangled his wife to death. Lord Morrison dismissed the fact that Arlene had consumed alcohol that night as any form of defence on Nat's part when he said, This was a nasty, wholly unprovoked and dangerous assault for which I regard a custodial sentence as inevitable. I attach little or no importance to what has been said about your wife's condition when she arrived home in the early hours of the morning. While behind bars, the controversy continued to follow Nat Fraser when he was charged with making a false claim for legal aid. 
a leading defence team had been employed to assist Nat in court, payment for which had been subsidised, only for the authorities to learn he had concealed the amount of money he had. On November 30th, 2000, Nat Fraser was released early. He had served half his prison term and would remain on licence for the remainder of his sentence. As Nat Fraser adjusted to life on the outside, in January 2001, Hector Dick stood trial at Dingwall Sheriff Court for a charge of attempting to defeat the ends of justice. The lead witness was Kevin Ritchie, the man who had purchased the Ford Fiesta at Hector's behest. The local mechanic testified that he had gone to see Hector, who asked him to find a cheap car quickly. During the conversation, Nat arrived at the farm. Kevin said he purchased the car from a man in Elgin and then drove it out to Hector Dick's farm. This was the night before Arlene vanished. Hector paid Kevin £400 plus an extra £50 for him to keep quiet about the deal. Kevin Ritchie explained that in October he spoke with Hector again, and a few days later Hector and his cousin arrived at his home looking for another car. Kevin testified that the first vehicle he had obtained had possibly been crushed or demolished by Hector. He opted out of finding another car for Hector, saying... The way I saw it was that if the Fiesta had anything to do with Arlene Fraser, I didn't want anything to do with it. After this testimony, Hector Dick dramatically changed his plea and admitted to attempting to defeat the ends of justice. His change of heart had come just before prosecutors were about to play a secretly filmed videotape. In the video, Hector Dick can be seen discussing the whereabouts of the vehicle with Kevin Ritchie, whose car had been wired up to allow the police to listen in on the conversation. At one point, Hector said that the car had been done away with, scrapped. This would have completely contradicted Hector's claims that he had no knowledge of the Ford Fiesta. Hector Dick was subsequently sentenced to one year in prison. As he was hauled off to begin serving his sentence, the police started looking into whether Hector was involved in the bootlegging alcohol scheme. According to a friend of Arlene's, Hector supplied spirits to her and she then sold them on. Meanwhile, an investigation into Nat Fraser's false claim regarding Legal Aid uncovered that he had a secret building society account that contained more than £13,000. He insisted he only had £3,000. In April 2001, Nat would again face time in prison, ordered to serve a year-long sentence for the Legal Aid fraud. Nat Fraser still had friends, 
and some visited him while he was incarcerated. Visiting days were filmed on CCTV to help prevent the smuggling of drugs, weapons or other contraband. June 2001 was a hectic month for officers working on the investigation. They swooped in on Arlene's old home, where they ripped up the floorboards. The computer that was owned by Nat was also removed by the police. It appeared they had found everything they needed. On June 20th, Nat Fraser and Hector Dick were charged with conspiracy to murder, while they were still serving time in prison for their previous crimes. Early the next morning, Hector was found in his cell at Inverness Prison with a ligature tied around his neck in a suspected suicide attempt. He was transported to the hospital, but returned to prison that afternoon. That same month, another man was arrested, 49-year-old Glenn Lucas. Nicknamed the man from Del Monte because he operated in the fruit trade, Glenn was shocked by a dawn police raid at his home in Spalding, Lincolnshire. The charge upon his arrest was defeating the ends of justice. Glenn Lucas had known Nat since he was a child. He had met Nat and Hector Dick in a pub several days before Arlene's disappearance, although friends drinking together was not the reason for the arrest. Glenn Lucas had visited his friend Nat Fraser in prison. CCTV footage of the meeting was viewed, but frustratingly as no sound had been recorded, officers could not hear what the pair were discussing. Desperate for answers, they approached a renowned lip-reading specialist to decipher what was said. When they received the report, Glenn Lucas was implicated in a plot to conceal a murder. The conversation in the visitor's room was reported to entail information relating to what happened to Arlene Fraser. According to the lip reader Jessica Rees, who had 10 years of experience consulting on more than 700 criminal cases, Nat said to Glenn, I don't think they'll find her. It's been a long time. It was alleged that Nat referenced pulling out teeth, cutting up remains, and suggested it would be impossible for anyone to find Arlene's body. Nat Fraser and Hector Dick were then hit with a slew of more charges, including murder and further accusations of attempting to defeat the ends of justice. Having just been charged with his wife's murder, Nat Fraser is taken away from court and into custody. The 42-year-old businessman from Murray appeared at Elgin Shed of Court alongside 45-year-old Hector Dick, who's also from the town. It's now more than three years since Arlene disappeared from her home after seeing her young son and daughter off to school. Her husband's lawyer says it's not unheard of for a murder trial to proceed without a body. Well, in my experience in 1960, there was a, a trial in Glasgow, a chap called Kilbride was charged with murder. There was no body found. 
and uh, he was convicted in fact and the body was found about six months after the conviction. So there is a precedent. It's very unusual but there is a precedent. As the investigation played out, Hector Dick was granted bail. He had served his sentence after admitting to a charge of defeating the ends of justice. Nat Fraser was later released on bail too in October, much to the dismay of Arlene's family. Another year would pass, and in April 2002, Glenn Lucas was also charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Officers who had been working on the investigation for the past four years theorised that Arlene Fraser had been abducted and killed to prevent the divorce from happening. It was suggested that on the morning of April 28, 1998, she was abducted from her residence, transported in the elusive Fort Fiesta, and taken to a secluded location where she was murdered. Police also believe that Arlene's body was dismembered, possibly to prevent identification if her remains were ever discovered. According to investigators, around a week and a half after Arlene disappeared, Nat Fraser snuck into her home and placed her wedding, engagement and eternity rings in the bungalow. These items became a cornerstone for the prosecution in a case where all evidence was circumstantial. Detectives knew that they had made a mistake by handing them back to Nat earlier in the investigation. These rings were not discovered when the home was first searched, and it was argued Arlene had been wearing the rings when she was killed. The jewellery had allegedly been placed there around the same time that rumours began to swirl that Arlene had staged her own disappearance so she could run off with another man. With Nat Fraser and his two long-term friends charged with crimes relating to Arlene Fraser's disappearance, investigators had a significant job on their hands, preparing for a murder trial with no forensic proof, just circumstantial evidence. The Arlene Fraser trial has been told that her husband Nat went to a library to carry out research on murder cases before she disappeared. Hector Dick, who was one of his close friends at the time, said Fraser had discovered there had only been two murder convictions in Scotland in the absence of a body. Mr Dick said that Fraser also told him he'd spoken to somebody who knew how to do away with someone. Nat Fraser denies murdering his wife and disposing of her dismembered body. This is the end of episode 54. The final instalment in this three-part case will be available in four days. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website... They walk among us podcast.com.
subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.